Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast brought to you by both Delinea and Cybrae. I'm Joseph Carson, the host of the episode for today, and I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about, and it's really close to my heart. And it's actually, you know, of course, very close to, you know, where I, I live in, in Tallinn, Estonia, which is all about identity. And we're joined by the amazing Paul Simmons. Uh, Paul, I just want to give us an introduction about your background, who you are and what you do. Yeah, hi, I'm Paul Simmons. I'm a, I suppose you'd call me a serial chief information security officer, um, having started at uh, Motorola um, and then ICI and then obviously AstraZeneca, and along the way got involved in this thing called the uh, the Jericho Forum, uh, which first of all gave us uh, deprimitarization, which people now call zero trust, um, but then we went to do a lot of work on identity. So um, we, we span that out into an organization called the Global Identity Foundation, uh, which I nominally head up. Um, so uh, chief, chief spokesman, I suppose, for that um, and uh, general advocate for how we do identity properly going forwards. Absolutely. And also, Emily, it was great. I, I was, you know, throughout my entire history, I've been doing, a, you know, dancing a bit part for, for a long time, but um, heavily much in the last 10, 10 plus years, mainly because I'm based in Estonia and, and, and the whole digital society here, its whole foundation is built on identity. Um, some things are done right. Some things are not done so well. And, you know, it's always progressing and always getting better. And one of the things I remember just a few years ago, we had a, just a riveting conversation about identity. And one of the things you really kind of opened my mind to a different way of looking at some of it. And recently you wrote a couple of blogs, which really got me excited because it really brought back a lot of that conversation. Um, one of the things is that people, you know, um, sometimes misunderstand what identity is for and the background. Can you talk a, a bit about what, what is identity? What, what is it used for in the background? Because uh, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's really interesting. People, I've noticed, and I'm, I was guilty as sin of this <laughs> when, when we started the identity journey, is because we're dyed-in-the-wool IT people, um, when we start doing computer identity, digital identity, whatever we want to call it, we throw out what people do and do it from a computer base. And, and the problem is that... If you think about it, if you go back to, to before I started in computers, when you had mainframes, and you know, if you were lucky enough, you got an account on the mainframe, and you had to sign your, you know, first children and your life away <laughs> to get that account. Um, and the mainframe was was God with, with a small G, um, and it went on from there. As we started to connect these things together, what we then did is we said, look, actually, we need a central source of truth. Therefore, we started to get an individual computer that acted as the central repository for identity. And if you were lucky enough, you got an account on it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is almost diametrically opposed for how humans do identity. And 
that's where the problems start. We've we've as humans, we've had thousands of years of evolution to actually fine tune how we do trust and identity, because mm-hmm. that's what it's linked in. How well do you trust this entity is who they say they are, or who they claim to be, or what they claim to be able to do? Absolutely, and that was one of the kind of big things that we discussed um, when you know that one of the, one of our mutual friends, Brian Hone, introduced us. Uh, I think it was at the CSA event in RSA, um, and we ended up think, discussing for the rest of the night. And one of the things that really got me was that to your point is that you're the best person to know your identity. <laughs> you're, you're the yep. best person to bring it because because it's it's you. It's it's everything. It's I mean, some things are permanent. Um, you can't change, and some things are variables that can be modified. And one of the things I remember was that it was all about, you know, uh, when you get introduced, you get introduced by another person who you already have a trust relationship with. And that, for our case, was Brian. Brian was the mutual person that actually knew both of us and introduced us. So therefore, you've got some type of already trust getting established. And then you take it from there. And to your point is that, you know, we lose that very much when we get into the digital world. We end up having a single source of trust. Rather than you know that depermanentization where you can have different types of trust where you can actually solely build and trust, um, and where zero trust of course turns out around where it starts with zero, <laughs> starts with nothing, and you have to find where those uh, trust anchors are, the trust sources are. Um, so what's what's some of the things that you know kind of personas or entities that build an identity? What what's the things that make an identity? And those could be you know. In the physical world, such as you know our name and date of birth and so forth, and that in the digital world, what what builds an identity? What is an identity that that, that makes it? So, so an identity effectively consists of, of three parts, which is you know first of all is there's some form of authentication mm-hmm. attached to it that allows you to sort of uniquely identify this entity, and and humans use faces. Yep. Billions of years of evolution, we are fine tuned to using faces. So, you know, you might have met me 20 years ago or whatever when I had a lot less gray hair <laughs> um, and and everything else. And But, you know, 20 years on, you'll look at me and go, ah, oh, Paul Simmons, or, mm-hmm. or I recognize that person generally. And then you're yes. trying to attach a name attribute, because that's all a name is, to that mm-hmm. identity. But we... we we call you know that that is the authentication part of it mm-hmm. and then on top of that we start layering what we call personas which are groups of attributes ideally from an authoritative source but they don't need to be um and that builds up effectively what an identity what what this big thing called identity is which is a group of personas in totally different contexts. So, you know, I'll have a, a sexual persuasion persona, for example. Um, I will have a citizen persona, which is my, you know, join between me and the UK government because I'm, I'm British, I have a British birth certificate, um, and, a, and generates passports and other bits and pieces. But I'll have a whole bunch of other personas. I have a family persona. I have um, a sporting persona. I have personas which goes with various interests. I have accounts in the computer world, which effectively are the same. They are personas. They are the join between me and the entity I am interacting with, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And some of the, uh, 
the the aim is that we trust those personas more or less depending on how authoritative they are so obviously a family persona is easy because you know i was born into a family i have children um you know we all know that relationship and therefore we trust that relationship um but when it comes to other personas it depends on how much you trust it. So, so you know, my example is always, I mean, I used to travel into to London on an occasional basis um, and standing on the platform for the train for the, the, the 10 past seven from Gerrard's Cross every morning, you know, there would be, for example, a, you know, a woman standing there who, you know, very British, stood in the same place every every single day, got on the same carriage every single day, tended to sit in the same seat every single day, whatever, got off at Malibone. Now that there's so if you think about it, what am I doing? As a as a as a human being, I'm going, okay, there's a you know attractive girl, uh, woman, whatever, gets on the train, obviously worked in London, uh, because she gets off at Marlebone, the same place as I do, and then goes elsewhere. I don't know, no idea where. Um, she obviously lives in or near Gerald's Cross. So I'm, I'm applying a bunch of attributes against her face. That's it. Um, they're not authoritative. They're totally subjective. I'm adding them to it and everything else. Now, that was actually fine. About two years after I did this, I went to a party in, in Gerard's Cross and lo and behold, guess what? There was the woman who I got introduced <laughs> to. So now I have a name attribute. It may not be her real name because, mm -hmm. you know, I have a name attribute to go with the, the, the face um, and everything else. And I have a, you know, starting to build up more stuff. And because, again, as you say, it was introduced by a mutual friend. Correct, yes. Yes, there is a level of trust that goes with the fact that actually she's who she says she is. And if that person's using the same name, also builds up a level of kind of more trust in the, in the name that uh, that person's using. Yeah, but I mean, and again, you know, if you think about it, certainly IT, IT's dirty little secret is that, you know, we don't accept that women like to get married occasionally and change their names. I mean, sometimes <laughs> men change their name as well, but it's more unusual. Um, mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, you you join a company and you know you get assigned Jane Doe, and then yep. you know one day Jane gets married and says, "Well, I'm now Jane, someone else, Jane Smith," and, and the IT department goes, "You can't do that. You can't change. <laughs> you can't change your name." Because somehow we think the name is unique, but it's not. It's it's just an attribute. Yeah. Of, and that's of, a good point as well. Is, is you know, a lot of those attributes are changeable, and a lot of them are fixed and permanent. And when we're thinking about IT, it's sometimes that's why I, using an IT, it's sometimes better to use a, a, like a more an index type of reference to create the you know to, to have that uniqueness to, to build them around rather than using the assumed names uh, as those references because names can change. Um, yeah, to your right. point is that you know. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it, and and it's interesting. I mean, when I work for AstraZeneca, because it's a it's drug producing and everything else, mm. they have to keep records uh, for you know FDA and all the other regulations around the world, such that you can track back you know eighty years time if you have a problem <laughs> with a drug and go who actually made that batch, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and were they trained and everything else? So, so my AstraZeneca user ID is KQRD six four four. That's non-repudiation. There might be multiple yeah. Simmonses at AstraZeneca.com, but there is only mm-hmm. one KQRD six four four. Yep, and that's why it's important to have those have those specifics because then you can have even at least the anonymity as well, anonymous piece. So if you need to go back and trace back of, uh, you know, non-repudiation or proof of, you know, that uh, that uh, history or proof of evidence, um, there's a way of also pulling that back as well. And that was one of the things here in Estonia as well, um, especially around things like the voting side of things, was that you can have that proof of voting, but um, that basically there's an identity that's given to the citizen that is per- that's fixed to that, that person. That person can change their name, they can get married, they can change their gender if they ever even wish to, or change lots of different variables about themselves. But that there's that fixed, unique identity number that is permed against that that citizen, and that's the one that gets basically referenced in all the different data data vaults and data lakes and so forth. And if you ever need to, you can pull those attributes back in order to verify the citizen. Um, so absolutely, this is a kind of it's a great way of basically making sure that one is you've still got some type of anonymous in the system itself. But you can go through um, in certain scenarios and have non repetition have um, you know purposes of reason to to have that uh, exposed or revealed. Yeah, which which of course is great when you trust your government. That's one of the things I get asked. I get asked a lot about the, the Estonian side of things as well from that you know trusting the government, and it, I think it's one of the one of the key things that the government has done is that trust is not automatic. Trust is not something that's basically just a given. What the Estonian government has done over time is they are transparent as much as possible to the citizen. So the citizen has a certain amount of visibility into the data that is collected and generated on that citizen. So they can go in and see it, and they can see the uses um, and the transactions with that data. So it's all about making sure that you've got transparency. And I think that's what's over time, as long as there's no abuse of that, that the citizen starts building trust with the government into the use of digital services. So absolutely trust. It, it's all about a matter of, and where does that, you know, that trust score, <laughs> where does it, where is it at any point in time? Um, and that's something that it goes, it's, it goes up and down uh, depending on, you know, government changes. It depends on, you know, uh, scams and other types of, you know, things that, you know, get disclosed um, that trust kind of varies, but um, as long as it stays at, you know, a pretty good uh, high, high level, then majority of citizens look at that and they they, they buy into it and they, they accept it, uh, but it's all about transparency. Trust is not you know it's something that's just not automatic, um, and it's something that you know it's 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 a digital society that all work together to self. It's almost like a, auditing the government in some way um, that the citizens have the ability to do that over time. Yeah, which I I mean it's, it's been really it's been an interesting journey for me because you know that was very much my perception when I started this journey. Um, you know, because, because I live in Britain. I mean, Britain hasn't been invaded since 1066. Um, you know, we are pretty much a benign Western country uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, but as I've taken the journey, it's been it's been really interesting to talk mm-hmm. to an awful lot of people out there, um, and really a case of of saying, well, you know, how do you solve some of these more, the, the bigger problems where you don't have benign governments or actually you have governments that go bad? Um, and they do. 
um, you know, my my sister-in-law is Rwandan. And she was a refugee from the Rwandan genocide. She has one parent who is Hutu and one parent who is Tutsi, if you know your African history. Um, and she ended up as a refugee in Uganda um, as a result. And, you know, there we have an example of where identity information is hazardous to your health because the two, you know, if you were a Hutu, you think the Tutsis wanted to kill you and vice versa. And she had one parent who was each, so she was mm -hmm. actually, you know, couldn't win either way. Um, and there are lots of other examples about uh, out there of where things can go bad. I mean, I, I, I tend to use this example an awful lot, and we've been doing some work with Oxford University um, and their computer science people. Um, and they introduced us to one of their PhD students, and I used that example with him, and he said, "That's uh, you know." I can go better than that. He said, <laughs> I, I did five trips to uh, Saddam Hussein's torture chambers before I was 12. <laughs> That's, that, that reminds me, I think um, one of the conversations I had in the past was I was always thinking about, you know, the ability to, and uh, having, a, you know, the ability for an anonymous ability on the internet is one thing. And I remember, I think it was, is, OpenID was based on the make sure that you don't have that. You have the ability of having a permanent uh, internet uh, place, which means that you know the government cannot make you disappear. <laughs> was one of the it's the opposite side in those <laughs> you know regime side of things is that they make sure that you've got some permanent um, as, you know reference on the internet that you can go to that you know you can't delete or you can't you know make disappear uh, because your point is some there's definitely some governments out there that you know they they make citizens disappear um, and you you know, you want to have the ability to make sure that you, you can have that permanent, uh, you know, that you just, you know, your, your government cannot just make you disappear all of a sudden and you don't have never existed. Um, having that ability um, is important. One of the things I, I want to ask you about as well, um, I thought was very intriguing in the blogs that you wrote. We'll definitely make for the, sure for the audience that we'll put the references of all the blogs into the uh, show notes as well uh, for the podcast so they can actually have references to. One of the things I thought was very interesting one is that there was a conversation I've had with different analysts over the time is the difference between um, the human side of things. Because a lot of times when we're talking about in, um, in the digital world in IT is we're very much you know, focused purely a lot on the human side of identities. Uh, but it goes well beyond that. Um, and sometimes I talk about, usually I refer to it as the non-human uh, identities, um, which uh, other analysts refer to as machine identities. And there's different kind of terms that's been given. Um, I think it was, it's, uh, you've referred to as just identities in, in general. Um, can you talk about a bit about the differences between human identities and devices and organizations and then you've even got code and agents and so forth can you talk a little bit about the differences of those yeah so when we started looking at it we sort of said actually identities is probably you know it's it's entities <laughs> is is the is the overarching term but and we originally defined them as as people devices organizations code and agents mm -hmm. um but that's actually just a subset yeah and the key thing here is we shouldn't do anything different between entities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we defined five to, to sort of wet people's appetites or thinking about what the scope of mm -hmm. this actually was. But in reality, it's anything that you can uniquely identify. 
It's yeah. a similar. And if you're talking about, if you're talking about, yeah, you, know, you, you know, the the pharmaceutical background as well, a lot of that could go into, you know, uh, different uh, prescriptions and drugs, or you know, health records, to lots of different types of things that make up, you know, as you pointed, you know, those entities, and and then the associations to the personas as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and you can you identify and, even pieces of paper today have unique identities. <laughs> Every page um, that goes through a printer has a unique identity that has. Has had the dots put, printed on it? Yeah, potent, potentially yes. And and the the key the key behind this, and if you if you mm-hmm. take this sort of to its more logical conclusion of why are why are entities important, mm-hmm. um, which is the, the big thing, and it and it goes to personas. So in a in a pure world, the join between the entities gives you personas. So if you think about it, entity organization, UK government, entity, person, me, the digital, the join between us, digital or otherwise, it doesn't make any difference, is my citizen persona. Because UK government are authoritative for my birth certificate. So there are five attributes that the UK government give me in the form of my birth certificate, which is name name at name at birth, because remember it can change, um, place of birth, which obviously doesn't change, date of birth, which doesn't change, sex at birth, which these days can change, or, um, or, or sex can change, sex at birth we can debate, um, and the right to be a UK citizen. But basically, there are five attributes for which organisation UK government are authoritative and the join between me, potentially anonymous me, and UK government gives me five attributes that I can assert, signed by UK government, that only I can assert because I should own them. And we then have, think about all the other joins in your life. So, you know, when I join a company, then the join between me and organization company, the join between me and laptop, my laptop makes it Paul's laptop. The join between me and my corporate issued laptop makes it Paul's corporate laptop. That's the persona that goes with it. And all of those attributes, all of those personas will have a different set of attributes that we should be able to assert in a digital mm-hmm. world or a non-digital world, we shouldn't differentiate between the two. Yes. I think somebody, somebody, somebody always reminded me that I always had to remember that all identities are digital <laughs> in some <laughs> form or another. <laughs> there's, there's no, you know, unless we're in the physical world, when we're talking about digital, they're all, they're all digital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we, but we should be, we should be able to assert those. And mm-hmm. when you receive those assertions, you should be able to look at that assertion and, make a decision about how much you trust that assertion mm-hmm. yeah and what's so, some of those what's some of those ways uh, you know to 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 do that you know the, the the trust anchor or the root of trust what's some of those assertions to that when you when you, you you're either collecting and looking at identity or you're providing what's some of those assertions that you can do to, to kind of show that uh, that trust so so if you think about it well let, let's give you give you a really you know give you a, an example so you know I want to buy a bottle of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So think about it. So let, let's look at it in terms of physical and digital. So in the physical world, it's pretty easy. In the UK, you have to be over 18. 
I walk in with a £20 note, I want a bottle of whiskey, I walk into an off-licence, and they go, grey hair? Yeah, definitely over 18. Um, <laughs> some places in the world you will still have to show ID, but in, in the UK, no, they'll just go, no, grey hair, £20 note, here's your bottle of whiskey. Thank you very much. Pretty well an anonymous transaction. Yep. As much as you can make it, you can debate about cameras and other bits and pieces. But yeah, for all so intents, the world, purposes, the world of privacy is always a challenge today with the face recognition. It's a private anonymous transaction. Yeah. Now try to do it in the digital world. How do you make that equivalent work in the digital world? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, you know, let's go to you know a favorite e-commerce store that is now allowed to sell alcohol. Let's call it amazon <laughs> for one to oh you know there are other vendors out there mm-hmm. um in reality think about how you do them in, the, in their world so they are concerned with three things in the business world which is are they going to get paid for it are they going to get uh, their license to sell alcohol revoked and is it going to be a fraudulent transaction such that it gets reversed so those are the things that you know need to achieve so how do you do that well First of all, I issue you, I issue Amazon with an assertion that I am over 18. So, because from my citizen persona signed by mm-hmm. UK government, so I give them an I, I am over 18 assertion signed by UK government. Yeah. And that, that is authoritative because they define how old I am because they issue my birth certificate easy i issue them with i'm going to pay you 20 pounds signed by visa mm-hmm. again we can do that as an anonymous tra- as a one-way anonymous transaction so that's easy we could even do yep. bitcoin um and i'm going to give you um uh, an amazon locker to put it in mm-hmm. so i'd like you to put it in the amazon locker at my local uh, gas station or petrol station or whatever Yep, and um, just a pickup point. Simply a just pick a pickup point. Yeah, yeah. And in return, Amazon gives me a one-time code, which is unique to me, that mm-hmm. only I can assert to unlock that locker and whatever. And because those three assertions need to be locked together, in other words, only one mm-hmm. entity could have asserted them, even anonymously, yeah. then we need to wrap them up in a nice little cryptographic bow, which the cryptographers will tell you is pretty easy to do, such that Amazon can say, yeah, I've got three assertions signed by the authoritative sources mm-hmm. for those, such that only one entity could have asserted all three as a triple. Yep. And now you have the equivalent, the digital equivalent, of walking into an off-license and buying anonymously mm-hmm. my bottle of whiskey. Yeah, so, the, only, the only challenge with a lot of those those today is that they're using your mobile number as a a way of kind of um, a source of identity as well. Um, yep. So it's one of those ent- entities which, in, in many cases, is is a, a a part of your persona that's that's permanent in many cases, most cases. Um, so they have the ability, you know, to to have that association. We do that transaction multiple times. That mobile number becomes that kind of. Uh, repetitive kind of reference yeah no very very much and and that's that's the problem because the the challenge in the identity world Mm -hmm. is how do you prove the level of what we call immutable linkage yeah how well the the wetware me is linked Mm -hmm. to the firmware 
whether it be the device or the attribute or whatever. So it's it's that level of immutable linkage. And at the moment, yeah, absolutely. We tend to use a phone or a mobile device anyway, a SIM, yep. with a un- with a, guarant- a reasonably guaranteed unique identity. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this, this, is, this is something that kind of reminds me of what you're touching on as a conversation that I had with Ian Glazer on the exact same point, is that in the ideal scenario, when we're talking about going, you know, similar, similar process you're mentioning about, you know, purchasing alcohol is you're going to another country to rent, rent a car, or you're going traveling and you're staying at a hotel that a lot of the purpose is what that hotel needs to do by law is verify that you're over the age of 18. And that's pretty much it. They just want to make sure that you're legally allowed to stay in a hotel and that you have the, the financial funds to, to pay for the hotel. Um, if you're renting a car, what the car rental company really needs to know is that are you legally allowed to drive and do you have insurance and do you have the funds to, to cover? So they don't, and a lot of things that when they collect the data, a lot of times the hotel will scan your passport, but they don't need all of that details in the passport. The only one thing that they're looking for is your date of birth. And yeah. that calculation is that you're over the age of 18. Um, when you go to rent a car, what they they scan your driver's license, but they don't need your basically, you know, your address. They don't need a lot of the, the data and that attributes on that entity um, in order to rent the car. They only need to know that you've got a valid driver's license, but they take copies of that in order to have that, uh, let's say that non-repudiation of you know that they're gathering enough proof uh, before they will permit you. And that got into a conversation myself and Ian were having is that all they need to do is ask the right questions, and all I just need to do is provide a source of trust to say here is a place that you can go to that we both have immutable trust, and it could be the driver's license, uh, you know, uh, entity uh, from the government. It could be the passport entity, and all they do need to do is ask the right questions. Is this person? legally allowed to drive and that should be a great way of doing a digital you know um uh you know authorization authentication for to make sure that i am allowed to do that um, and that would remove a lot of the wasted collection of data as well um and it would simplify a lot of those processes as well i know i know that in the eu you know the schengen area they're also trying to do that with basically uh, touchless travel as well uh, where they're trying to achieve that where you can just go up to the the booths and they will do a facial recognition and they will check to make sure that all of the entities that you've provided um, is is allowing you to to travel to that country. So what's your thoughts around that, that over collection of data that a lot of those entities are doing um, where they really only need the basic essentials? Is that is that something that we can improve on is, is, or, or change? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the answer is we, we do and we don't. So the... Mm. let me do the politician's answer and answer a slightly (laughs) different question um so if you think about it i mean and i've done this i you know because i work in security i've been onto the dark web and i have effectively done a google search Mm -hmm. dark web on uh, on my name and i can tell you that every single bit of information about me is out there Mm -hmm. So, you know, name, date of birth, where I live, yeah. my postcode, my mother's maiden name, who my family are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It mm-hmm. is all out there. Um, you know, if you don't subscribe to it, have I been pawned um, from <laughs> Troy Hunt, which is a fantastic Absolutely. service. Troy's a great um, guy. So is. <laughs> and I, I get alerts on a regular basis from that service. Um, and 
I started off putting them in a PowerPoint slide and I have now run out. The text has got too small for all the <laughs> breaches that I have been involved in over the years. Um, so the reality is all my personal information is out there. So the challenge yeah. is how do you ensure that only I, as the mm -hmm. owner of that personal information, can assert it? Yes. So that that is your ultimate challenge going forwards, mm -hmm. because you can take all of that information and you can go, I am Paul Simmons because I can tell you my date of birth, where I live, my postcode, my mother's maiden name, my inside leg measurement, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but that's, but, but how, a lot of that information is already out there. So. Absolutely. Down there. How, do you, but how do you ensure that you cannot use that information to create an account in my name or do an account takeover yes. in my name? So, you know, the challenge is how can only I, as the owner of mm -hmm. those, that PII, assert it? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, if, that, if you like, is the ultimate challenge that we face as an industry. Yeah. And what does, that, what does that then mean to go back and our, to answer your original question? Yes, absolutely. We should only be asserting minimal privacy enhancing information so i should not be giving you know if you ask me to prove I, are you over 18 i should not be giving you my date of birth i should yes. be giving you a digitally assigned assertion by uk government yep yes so that when i give it to you, you can say yeah i can check that this is you know what i'm checking is not that actually there is a central server that holds paul simmons's date of birth I can check yeah. that the assertion you give me is signed by UK government because there are only 350 odd places that's, that issue passports. So holding yeah. 350 public keys these days is not difficult. You can cash that yeah. without any problems. So I can give you an assertion that says I am over 18 or in the case of a car, I am over 25 and under 65. Yep. Yep. That's exactly. That's, that's exactly. I would love to, to find, find a way forward to make that it in all those different scenarios, there's there's you know, certain things solutions that can be happen, but in a, in a generic way for all of it, it I, I would love to have a world where that that being able to do that simply <laughs> would be yeah would well, be the that, ideal way forward. That that is that is the challenge going forward is how do we do that in a common manner and do it simply, and more importantly, how can I then mm -hmm. take those multiple assertions and connect them with a bow that says actually. Yep. They all come guaranteed, cryptographically guaranteed from one entity. Yeah, you might not and know who thing, I am. Yeah. In Estonia, it, it's almost that way. Um, the difficult is is that when you cross border, when you go outside of Estonia, then you have you always have to go back. And, and this is this is a common problem for a lot of Estonians actually is that when they travel, because they're so used to having their their let's say digital wallet is part of their mobile phone. And sometimes, and that's how they do those assertions is, is through basically the digital signature between themselves and the government. And they can do that between different entities here in Estonia, whether it being the financial, whether it being rent a car. Here you've got companies like Bold where you can just simply with your mobile phone, go and unlock the car door um, uh, with the mobile phone and the cable switch, get in the car and drive, finish and unlock and so forth. So that simple simplicity. Uh, but the moment you leave Estonia, you're you're going back to. It, I think the, the bigger problem is now when we're getting into international cross borders, it becomes more of a challenge because, to your point, is that those assertions then tends to go back to government 
identities as being the source. Um, and it'll be great to be able to expand on that as you know that you know to be able to move forward. I, I was remember years ago thinking about um, you know even having things like data brokers that would provide those types of things. Where because uh, one of the other challenges I think is that um, as you you know your point is that a lot of the attributes can change. And when you search your data, if you do a search in your data, you'll find a lot of old data out there that your previous addresses that you lived at, um, you know, previous cars that you may have driven um, or owned. Um, so there's a lot of legacy data out there, your school that you went to, which, you know, um, so there's a lot of those attributes. Uh, some are still valid and can be useful. Some are basically, you know, outdated and need to be updated. And those data brokers idea was all about getting to uh, a single source of truth is that you know this is where rather than saying hey facebook here's my data here another s- social uh, site here's my data here uh, snapchat you know and you're providing all at that time the data was correct but over time it becomes still and outdated and the data broker idea was around having the ability to make sure that i don't i don't put my data in those social sites but i do as i provide that joining to a central source um, so in Estonia, they have that ability where it's not data is only in certain data um, vaults or data lakes, and it's it's unique and you can't duplicate it. So my home address is only in the population register, and that's it. Um, if the bank need to send me something, then they have to get that data from the population register, so they don't hold you know outdated data. So how how do we solve that problem in in a deprimatized? Uh, and a broader skill. Do you, do you see data brokers or other elements of ways? Because you know, managing it is, is a bit of a mess today, um, because it, it just because you're storing the same data in so many places. Yeah, I there there are, I mean there are two issues here. The first one is you know what we defined way back when we defined the the commandment the Jericho from commandments back in two thousand and three, yeah. um, which is this concept of locus of control. Mm-hmm. And there are so many IT folk out there who don't understand the locus of control problem, which is I can make it all work as long as you play in my locus of control. Yeah. <laughs> and, and effectively, that's what the Estonian system is. We can make it right. all work as long as you play in Estonia's locus of control. And, it, and you can make it work really nicely. And at the end of the day, you know, IT and particularly security people, I put my hand up, guilty as charged, are control freaks. Um, you know, we like to say, give it all to me, I will make it all work for you, because that's what floats our boat. Um, So, you know, that's problem number one, is if you don't understand the locus of control problem, then you are doomed to repeat it time and time again. You've got to make things work outside your locus of control. Yes, you might downgrade the level of trust or certainty you have in the information, because it's coming from a different source, but you have to be able to accommodate that. So that's number one. Brokers won't scale. It is as simple as that. You have to go back and say, your single source of truth is has to be the authoritative source. So, the, so you, know, you need to turn this on its head and say, for this bit of information, who is authoritative? Truly authoritative. So you know, as I said, my date of birth, UK government is truly authoritative. My bank is, you know, Barclays, um, who are truly authoritative because it's their bank account at the end of the day. You know, 
do I work for AstraZeneca? The answer is not anymore. But can I prove I worked for AstraZeneca? Who is authoritative to prove that? The answer is AstraZeneca. Um, and I need to be able to give you an assertion signed by the authoritative source. The instant, mm -hmm. you, the instant you start using brokers, you can make it work to a certain extent while you trust that club. But it won't scale globally. So, you know, the challenge is if I have a broker, let's call them Verizon, for want of a better word, you know, the question is, are the Chinese government going to trust Verizon when I assert something signed by Verizon? And they're going to go, no, absolutely not, because they're not Chinese. And quite rightly so. Absolutely. That's, However, that's, yeah. if I give if, if I give you data, but I, if I give you an assertion that says I'm a U.S. citizen and here is my my date of birth and they are both signed by the U.S. government. The Chinese already accept that because it's called a passport. Yep. So you have to go back to first principles and say the only way you make this work and scale globally is if the if it is signed by the authoritative source. Absolutely. No, that absolutely makes sense. It's sometimes you think try to think of things in a, in a simpler scale, but when you get down to it, is that the original the thought of source is the is the root of trust where it was established and, and created in the first place. Yeah. Um, and therefore, if you've got a way of verifying that um, on some type of token level, when, you know. It, NFT, NFTs uh, have have some purposes in the world, but <laughs> maybe, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but for non repudiation uh, purposes, that this is a token that was created that it shows that you've got um, this assertion or this this attribute was valid uh, and has a timestamp associated to it. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, one of the things. Uh, one after I think we spoke, um, I had this whole idea, and it was about when you talked about you're the person that is the best to establish your own identity. And it got me thinking about the whole um, bring your own identity concept. Um, where do you, so where do you see the future of this going? What do, you, do you see, you know, bring your own identity as, you know, where organizations and others, you know, they don't necessarily need to have, um, they just need to have that joining um, of the identity that you bring. And to your point is that authoritative level determines that level of trust that you might have and the trust might be low, might be high, depending on, on, on the authoritative level. Um, where do you see the future going? Do you see bringing your own identity as something that will become more common for organizations and businesses and governments? Or do you see, uh, where, do you, where do you really see the future in identity going? Um, that the path, the direction, decentralization, we've seen a lot of, you know, uh, the, uh, where you have uh, a lot of leverage of uh, self-sovereign identity, is I guess the the technical term that we've been using for that. So where do you see the future going? <laughs> okay, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make one caveat before I start and just say <laughs> the, the problem with self sovereign. So I so self sovereign identity. The problem statement I totally agree with. The problem is that the self sovereign identity community are coming at it from the solution is blockchain now. <laughs> They're coming. Which is which is I agree. It, you, you've got a. You've got a solution that you're trying to fit into to, yeah. to make that solve the problem. But so, we have to remember what the problem is. Yeah. And we so have to be open to the solution. The problem statement, <laughs> I, the, the, the self-sovereign identity crowd purport, hmm. I totally agree with. The solution, I fundamentally disagree with. Yep. So, so if you think about it, yes, bring your own identity or actually 
bring your own assertable attributes. So I want a collection of attributes held probably in some kind of common wallet, yes, mm -hmm. um, that only I can have access to. And I can then assert those attributes. And the, and the trick to making this work is, yes, I hold the attributes. Yes, I choose privacy here to say, actually, yeah, I'm happy to give you an, an 18 assertion, but I'm not happy to give you my date of birth because you don't need it. I am happy to give you an assertion. I'm going to pay you $20, $20 for this bottle of whiskey, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's fine. And I need to be able to wrap it up in this nice cryptographic bow so you can see it all comes from one entity. But then the other thing you need from a trust point of view is you need to be able to understand how well the entity is linked to the assertions. Mm -hmm. In other words, so so we did we did a, um, a proof of concept with um, a very high profile publicly known name, which I can't mention, <laughs> um, working in their skunk works labs. Um, mm -hmm. And we actually built this with them. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And one of the questions was, because this was selling stuff that needed an RU18 assertion that went with it, is how do I trust that actually mum hasn't sent little Johnny, who's 14 in, to actually go and get this good these goods? Yes. Um, and so we had this discussion with the American executives that went with it and said, well, you know, what what are the you know, what are your requirements? What do you think mm -hmm. is acceptable? And the answer was, yes, you need to have unlocked the device with a biometric because we were using mobile phones, obviously. Yes. Um, and you need to have unlocked this device. With a biometric assertion within mm -hmm. the last five minutes. Or two minutes, or whatever, because at the end of the day, time, it's your time-based time authorization. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's your licensed. It, ultimately, yeah. the people who are going to get dinged are the store, because it's your license to operate to sell restricted goods. Yep. So if you do this too many times, like selling cigarettes to twelve-year-olds, you know you lose your license to sell cigarettes. It's as simple as that. Certainly in the UK. Um, so the challenge is, you need you need to be able to you. The person who's taking the risk, the store in this case, needs to be able to understand not only are all the attributes I asked for linked cryptographically, that one's easy, but with that, you need the information that says yes, and I need to know, because I require it, that actually those attributes were unlocked in the last two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever your risk, and you need to be able to know with what degree of certainty is the wetware linked to the firmware. In other words, Paul Simmons or this entity here linked to the mobile device. So you need to know the device and how it was unlocked. So was it unlocked with a, a facial biometric? Was it unlocked with a, a fingerprint or a pin or whatever? And what type of device was it? So that ultimately, if you want to do high security or higher security transactions, you need to be able to say, yeah, we know this device is now five years old and its fingerprint reader is so easily spoofed with a gummy bear that, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to let you use that anymore. We're going to depreciate your ability to use this make of device 
versus I've got the latest, greatest OnePlus or iPhone or whatever. And we're really happy with that. Yep. So there's so lots of can, levels of lots of levels of risk that needs to be calculated ab- into absolutely to and determine and, and that. The other key thing that goes with that is you never ever turn a variable into a binary. Because again, we do that time and time again. We turn, yep. you know, my 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 example is always, you know, look at um, you know, the corporate world with Active Directory. So, you know, in AstraZeneca, I I could log on to Active Directory with a username and password, and it could be very dodgy, and it could have taken five attempts to do it, and I got it right on the last one and whatever. The problem is Active Directory then says, binary one, this is Paul Simmons, and it then passes that on. And that's it for for the session that you've got for the... (laughs) All the sessions and passes passes the binary one, this is Paul Simmons, onto 137,000 other devices in the organization. You know, what is is wrong with this picture? Yeah, in that entire forest, you become Paul. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Everything that's from from that top-down level, the moment you've got uh, the, the level of of trust that's basically established that that just becomes the parent and and everything underneath in that hierarchy uh, believes yeah. it yeah and absolutely and 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 you know this is one of the good things that's going on in the zero trust discussion at the moment mm-hmm. is it, it is about continuous authentication it is about reauthentication yeah. it is about risk based authentication um depending on what the asset at risk is you know so as i keep telling people if it's the lunchtime server then actually you know mm-hmm. your, enti- your entitlement rule is let anyone have access to it we don't care because they, it's the menu for lunch um yep. versus you know the corporate results that are going to the city and absolutely and risk continuous profile, authentication and verification yeah. and, I like, and it's also important to separate authentication between authorization clearly and having those very distinct as well um, yeah. So that, you know, there's one thing is about me proving, but then what can I do after I've proved who I, who I am? Um, yes. And if I'm if I'm changing um, the level, let's say, of risk, then I need to go through some additional security controls or yeah. I need to level myself up in regards yeah, some, to... Some form of, yes, well, yeah, some form of step-up authentication. So, you know, if, I, if all I want to do is look at my bank account balance, then absolutely fine because it's read-only. Yep. Um, there's a level, but if I want to transfer six thousand pounds to a Russian bank, then you know behind the scenes the bank is asking, does Paul Simmons normally transfer six thousand pounds? Is this is this something you 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 do previously? <laughs> is it yeah. the first time yeah. you're doing it? <laughs> yeah, the wonderful the wonderful phrase that someone told me the other day is called normative transactional profile. Yeah. In other words, do they normally do this? Yes. Um, but. And, but a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and you know, some of it will be in the background because we want to make mm-hmm. this as frictionless as possible. As one of the terms I've come up with is, is yeah, zero, zero friction security is my, my <laughs> next term is, is to, you know, I'm not a big fan of zero trust. In, in it. I, I like the concept. Uh, the, ter- the terminology doesn't really resonate with business, which is always a problem I've got, is that when you translate it into to business use, it doesn't go that well. Um, we've been talking about zero assumptions so that you're not assuming security has been satisfied. You have to continually satisfy. So zero assumptions has been a term that I've been using. But to your point, absolutely, it has to be zero friction as well. It has to be something that we do as much as the security controls in the back room are possible. Um, and only when you need to verify the person behind you know, the keyboard or on the screen or the device, then you create some type of friction. And that friction has to be seamless. It has to be simplified. 
um, uh, and say, absolutely, you know, and, and to your point is, you know, profiling, uh, is this something you normally do, um, yeah. is, is key, uh, to, to that type of transaction. Yeah. And it, and it has to be commensurate with what the person at the end of that keyboard thinks is reasonable. Yep. Absolutely. So, because otherwise but, they, they'll find ways to bypass it. So, you know. <laughs> which, which is the, one of the things they always take the easy path. And if the easy yeah. path is the least secure, they, they will go down that path uh, because yeah. at the end of the day, they, they, they want to do a transaction. They want to make, um, you know, they want to finish a task. They want to do something. Um, and they'll always take the path of least resistance. Uh, yeah, we're will. humans by nature. We want to get things done. <laughs> um, and uh, But that path always has to be the secure path in my mind. <laughs> so that when, when, you, when you do any new implementation of anything, um, you should always make it better than the previous experience <laughs> yeah. while it being more secure at the same time. So. Paul, it's been fantastic discussion. I'm really excited about looking at, um, I'm, I'm keeping an eye for, I think we're on part three is, uh, today, if I recall. Um, so I'm looking forward to the next series and the, and the blogs. We'll make sure as they come out, we'll put them on the show notes. Any any last comment you have around, um, you know, some of the things that the audience are, the, you know, they, they should be aware of around identity. What's what, what's some of the, the do's and don'ts? What, 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 what tips do you have um, for, for the audience? I, I... I, su- I suppose I'd, I'd reiterate the, the locus of control thing. Um, if you don't understand it, go read the Jericho Forum Commandments. But you know, locus of control is absolutely key. Is 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 you need to get away from this. I can make it all work if you play in my locus of control, um, because that's how we're going to make a global environment work. And if and if absolutely. we can do it, and if we can do it globally, because we we are global at the end of the day as businesses generally. You know, yep. we need to be able to travel. We need to be able to work internationally. We need to be able to do joint ventures and collaborations. You know, the days of being the days of being staff on payroll, and you've just worked in that one building, have it's, gone, it's gone forever, irrespective of I, the pandemic. I love I love the the book by Aid McCormick. Um, I'll make sure also it's included as well. Aid McCormick is that we're moving back to the the old school of trade. Is that, um, and that's one of the things when I, when I was talking about bringing your identity is is that, is that concept is 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 that I will have my own skill and my own profession, um, and I could work for many companies providing yeah. that skill, and therefore you know that's where you know we're moving to where where it's about what can what value can you add, and do you want to have that value to to as a one on one relationship or you want it as a one to many. Um, and we have to be able to make that. And, and I think that's when you're referring to, you know, we need to be open <laughs> and we need to be, you know, um, flexible in regards to uh, some of those those uh, establishments and rules. So absolutely. Yeah, which is what your board want at the end of the day. Because if you talk to the board, that's what they want. They want, they want to be able to that level of, of fast, flexible and cheap. Yeah, so yeah, our challenge as an industry is how we deliver that. Fantastic. That's one, very wise words. I'm definitely. We'll mix. I'll also make sure that the uh, Jericho Farm uh, page is linked with those commandments and the rules uh, on the foundation because I think that's really set forward um, where where we are with identity today and where we're going. Um, it's really kind of a great foundation and uh, what you've done. And uh, I always remember we, we discussed it last year with Pamela Dingle was on. We were talking about the identity journey, and uh, for for Pamela that that was one of the foundations that really got her excited was those you know those establishments and 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 really set forward the identity industry and where we are today. So what you've done and and uh, for the industry and uh, is is amazing and keep up the great work. It's been fantastic. Really enjoyed having the conversation with you today. Hopefully. <laughs> 
it won't be a, another long time before we we get to catch up again. Uh, maybe maybe next time uh, Brian will be there as well. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's been fantastic. And uh, again, for everyone, hopefully this has been enjoyable. Hopefully you've learned a lot about identity and that uh, it's given you a whole new perspective on where we are, where we came from and where we're going. Um, and it's really exciting times. I'm really excited where we're going. And I think it's really going to change, not just as a business life, but as we do in digital society and what we do in our day-to-day uh, and lifestyles is going to make um, you know our, our digital lives much more. I say um, you know basically we can do a lot more um, and a lot more flexibility and a lot more um, luxury. Hopefully, so um, Paul has been fantastic for the audience. Stay safe. Tune in every two weeks for the Four One Access Tonight podcast. I'm your host for the episode, Joseph Carson. It's been a pleasure, and all the best and take care. Thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.